0: You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Um, We're going to start a little differently today. Many of you know that the the church... Has a church year, just like businesses have like a fiscal year. We've got a church year and we, we run on the same year as our district. And so at the end of April, we wrap up our church year every year. And um, one of the things that we have tried to do here at Lyman Community is just give you a little uh, update at the end of the year to let you know kind of where things landed and how things are going financially. And so we're going to start with that today. I want to give you just show you a few slides here and kind of bring you up to date on where we're at coming out of the church year. That we just ended. So this first slide here is just going to show us the total income for the 2021-2022 church year. You can see there that the largest portion of that, of course, is tithes and offerings. That's the uh, biggest portion of the pie that we bring in. We've also got there uh, that little sliver for faith promise and for next capital giving. So if you've been around here for long, you know that those are kind of our three buckets. And uh, that's um, kind of how the breakdown was in uh, that church year that ended in April. Okay. The next slide is going to take that 85% tithes and offerings and show you how we used that this year. So this is our operating expenses for the church. You can see that we spent about 60% of that on personnel costs, about 19% on ministry operations, 12% on facility and campus management and 9% on denominational budgets. Now, I wanna let you know that this is just from that tithes and offerings piece. This isn't from the faith promise or the next capital giving. So this is just the tithes and offerings are what support the church operations. So I just wanna show you you that, let you know how we spent those funds this year. Next slide is gonna show you how we did with faith promise this year. I'm really excited to tell you that we were able to invest over a quarter million dollars in our partners and in their missions uh, in our community and in the world around us uh, during the year. So thank you for your faithfulness in giving to Faith Promise. Uh, Just a couple quick comments on this. First of all, I wanna just commend uh, Pastor Wes Reese for leading that missions, those efforts, and he and the missions team allocate those funds each year. We're really grateful for the work that they're doing. They're doing a great job with that. you may notice that we sent more out in faith promise than we brought in. And the reason for that is that the faith promise account carries over from year to year. There are times when we raise more than we expected, and so we have a surplus. And uh, what we are trying to do is just be faithful to uh, the dollars that we've been given. So uh, because we had a surplus from the previous year, we were able to give a little bit more than what uh, was brought in last year. And so that's a, just a quick glimpse of our faith promise giving. And then this next one is gonna do the same for our next capital giving. Again, I wanna just remind you that this is, uh, this is money that is designated specifically for capital needs, for capital improvements. Many of you know that about four years ago, we paid off all the church's debt. We're very grateful to be a debt-free church. And since then, we have been saving. Uh, we obviously have been spending on other things that have been needed, but we've also been saving to do things that we know need to be done, like rem- model the foyer, for example, and you may have noticed that we are well underway on that project, and so uh, you'll see uh, more changes throughout the summer out in the foyer, but we're so grateful for your willingness, your generosity to give to our capital needs so that we don't have to redirect uh, operating funds to do many of those things. We have a huge campus here, uh, almost 200 acres, several uh, tens of thousands of square Feet under roof, like eighty-something HVAC units. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot that uh, can be costly, and so your giving in this particular way is such a huge, huge help to us, and we're really thankful for it. Okay, this last slide I'm going to show you is just going to show you the trend of tithes and offerings over the last four years. Now, if we could zoom in there on the dot over the year 2020, we would all recognize that as, as the church year was ending in 2020, that would have been April, that was about a month after the world changed, right? We all know that uh, our circumstances all changed then. And so you see that rather precipitous drop off there between 2020 and 2021. And I will say that we, we weren't necessarily shocked by that because of what was happening in the world around us. Now, the, the decline from last year to this year is much less noticeable. And we hope that we are starting to see that uh, to turn in the other direction again. I do want to point out that we have received some uh, COVID relief funds. Like many small businesses, nonprofits, we have been able to receive some of those. And we've been so thankful for that. It's been a great, great blessing to us. We haven't had to lay off any staff during this time. We've lost some staff for for various other reasons of course but we haven't been forced to let anyone go for financial reasons and so thank you for your faithfulness to keep giving during this time we're grateful for that so as a, a not for profit as an organization we want to just be forthright and transparent with those who donate and we want to uh, make sure that you have an idea of where things are are being spent and uh, and give you that report and uh, thank you for your attention to that and thank Thank you for your faithfulness to continue giving. So at the end of of April, as I met with the church board to approve the budget for this year, the year that we have now started, uh, in the discussion at that meeting, the board and I discussed whether it might be a good time to give some attention to the spiritual practice of tithing during one of our messages this summer. And that's what we're gonna do today. Now, I'm just going to say right up front that as your interim pastor, I am experiencing the whole broad spectrum. Okay. I'm, I preached on Easter. I mean, that's like the pinnacle, right? That's what every pastor looks forward to. And it was really exciting. And today I'm preaching on tithing. So you see the, you see the spectrum here, right? This is, um, I mean, I got to dedicate babies, and so, at least I know there's two families that won't be mad at me today. <laughs> so, in all seriousness, tithing is an important practice and discipline in the life of a Christian. Many of you ask. Pastors, in many ways you've asked me over the years for guidance on spiritual practices and it's an expected part of my calling, my job, my responsibility to provide leadership to you on how to follow God obediently and how to grow in holiness and in Christ-likeness. The practice of tithing, the development of generosity and the understanding of stewardship These ought to be part of our journey. They are, in fact, practices that help us grow in our relationship with Jesus. And so that's where we're headed today. And I want to address the cynics among you right away, all right? I recognize the risk of showing these slides and then preaching on tithing, right? I recognize that you put this on the heels of the church's year end report, and some of you just leaned over to your neighbor and said, well, Pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip. That got a lot more laughs than first service. I don't know. You guys are grouchy. I don't know. Obviously, there's a pragmatic side of tithing. Scripture doesn't shy away from it. Part of the reason we tithe is to provide for the livelihood of church workers. And so, yes... We'll get it out of the way right up front. It's important to my family that you tithe. But, but what I'm interested in doing today is not guilting you into something. If you respond to today's message out of guilt, you've missed it. What I want to do is not fundraising, it's spiritual formation. And I hope that's what we can do together today. So we're gonna read from Malachi chapter three. And as I always try to do, I I wanna set the stage for the passage that we're going to read by providing a little bit of context for it. Malachi was a prophet and his book is the last book in the Old Testament. And in the book of Malachi, as in many of the prophets, The relationship between God and his children, the nation of Israel, is is at a strained place. And the Israelites are asking this question, where is God? They feel that God has betrayed them, that he has not kept his promises. They feel like God has not been who he said he would be. Now, as you can probably imagine, these are some dangerous charges to bring against God. And that's actually how the book of Malachi reads. That's how it's set up. It's set up like a courtroom drama, a drama in which the the people of Israel have charged God with a crime, the crime being that he has abandoned them. And as we read through the first couple chapters of the book of Malachi, we see the Israelites and they are clearly the plaintiff. They are the complainant in this uh, in this courtroom case, and God is the defendant. And not surprisingly, God is quite successful at defending himself. And so, to each of the charges that the Israelites bring against him, God has a response. And in his responses, what God is ultimately doing is appealing to the covenant that he made with Israel. Now we've talked about covenant before. A covenant is a two-sided relationship. The idea of a covenant is that something is expected of each party. And throughout the book of Malachi, as God defends himself, he essentially reminds the people of Israel that he has been faithful to the covenant, but that they have not. And so in keeping with the courtroom theme, God sort of delivers a closing argument in the book of Malachi, and that's the passage that we're going to look at today. It's found in Malachi 3, beginning in verse 6. It says, for I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? I'm gonna ask the tech guys to to just kind of leave this passage up and follow along with me as we just look through these two verses and and what it says. God replies to the charges of the Israelites and it is a sobering reply. He says, for generations, You have turned your back on our covenant ever since the days of your ancestors, it says. You have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. And God says, even though it would have been justified for me to destroy you, to wipe you out, I have not done so. So that very first verse says it explicitly it says, because God's character has not changed, because he has stayed true to his side of the covenant, the Israelites have not perished. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. And then at the end of the passage, God says, if you will return to me. In other words, if, if you will begin living up to your end of the covenant, I will return to you. What God is saying is if, if you'll return to me, you won't have to ask where I am anymore. You won't have to wonder whether I still love you. Now the Israelites are interested in this scenario. They want their relationship with God to be made right again. And so they ask this simple question, at the end of that passage, how shall we return? How do we do it? We want to be back in right relationship with you, God, so how do we do it? And God answers their question. He gives them the answer through Malachi in the following verses it says, Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house, and thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. Now, isn't this interesting that when they ask how they can return to God, how they can be made right in their relationship with God again, the explicit answer they are given is about their tithe. Now, just a quick note on the word tithe. This might be a new word to you, the word tithe. It's a funny word, we don't use it very much. In the the books of the law, earlier in the Old Testament, the tithe was established. And what that meant was that God's, People should give to God one-tenth of all that they earn, or for, for them, in many cases, all that they produce in an agrarian society, that one-tenth of what they earn or produce should go to God, and that is called the tithe. Tithe is, is a simple word that means one-tenth or 10%. And this became an expected part of the covenant that God had with Israel, for the people to give their tithe to God. Now in this passage in Malachi, the people withholding their tithe revealed a significant spiritual lapse. Now I don't know if we can draw absolutely perfect parallels between this passage and our lives today. And so instead of trying to make that leap now, I wanna just look at what this passage says. I just wanna ask the question, what was God communicating to Israel through the passage that we're reading in Malachi? Well, one thing that it says clearly is that the nation was under a curse because they were not faithfully giving. So look at verse nine. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now, this doesn't really require any interpretation, okay? I'm not reading anything into the text that isn't there. The text just says it explicitly. The whole nation is cursed because they are robbing God. Now, again, I'm not telling you exactly what this means for us. I'm just telling you what it clearly meant for them. And it's interesting because they felt like they were cursed. This is the reason they brought these charges against God in the first place, because they felt like he was not present with them, like somehow they had been cursed. And what God tells them in Malachi 3.9 is that they are in fact under a curse because of their unfaithfulness to the covenant. The next thing this passage says to Israel is that their tithe provides food for God's house. Now, it's not as clear from from this passage alone, but we know from other places in Scripture that this really is a twofold idea. The tithe was meant to provide for the religious workers, for the people in the temple, and it was also meant to provide food for the community who were in need, for those in, in the community who were in need. So let's look at verse 10. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down an overflowing blessing. So the tithe provides food for God's house. And then there is this fascinating note about testing God. Now, The Bible does not encourage us to make a habit of testing God. In fact, it's usually quite clear that this is not something we should practice. But testing God usually means, when we're warned against it, it means testing his patience. So have you heard the phrase, poke the bear? You know what this phrase means? There's a a sleeping bear and you've got a stick and you poke the bear, right? and then you poke it again, and it stirs a little bit, and you poke it, and you poke the bear until the bear wakes up, and then you got trouble, right? That's what it means to poke the bear. You are testing the bear's patience, right, when you, when you poke the bear. That's what scripture tells us not to do with God, and if you're afraid of the wrath of the bear, let me tell you about God. Might be a little worse. Um, God doesn't say this to us, but this is the equivalent of us saying to somebody that we're losing patience with, just try me, try me. Like, I dare you, right? (laughs) Thankfully, this is not what God says to us, but this is what scripture is telling us not to do with God. Do not test God in that way. Usually, it's about testing God's patience. But in this passage, instead of encouraging them to test God's patience, In this passage, God says, test my faithfulness. Test the bounds of my faithfulness. Test the limits of my provision, my abundance, my blessing. Go ahead, God says, and see if you can find the edges of my goodness. And with this invitation to be tested, God is reiterating again, return to me and I will return to you. I think these two reflections on what this passage says to the people of Israel are not, um, they're not real challenging. They weren't very hard to see. I didn't, you didn't need a commentary to help you recognize that, right? It's just right there in the text. But to ask the question, what does it mean for us? is a different question. What what does this passage have to say to us in, in the 21st century on the corner of Cole and Diller? What does it mean for us? Well, I wanna start by confessing my own limits of understanding. I always try to approach the text with humility because I've learned that if you don't, it will humble you. It has a way of doing that, and it can do it in a hurry. Interpreting how some of the Old Testament law applies to us today is a challenging thing that Bible scholars wrestle with all the time. I'm not entirely comfortable standing here today saying to you, our nation is cursed because we don't tithe. I do frankly wonder if we would find ourselves in a different looking world if we were more faithful to our covenant with God. But I will admit to you today that I don't fully know how to interpret all of this for us. But it does seem to me there are principles here. There are things we can take away from this passage, things that are true to the meaning of the passage, but clearly apply to us today. And that's where I wanna focus now. First, I wanna make some comments about the law in the Bible. And this is important here because the practice of tithing has its origins in the Old Testament law. So what does the Old Testament law mean to us? Well, I think sometimes we have a tendency that because the law is affiliated with the Old Testament, we, we think, hey, Jesus came and set us free from those obligations, right? And in some ways that is true, but in other ways it's actually sort of the opposite. It actually seems that Jesus came and intensified the requirements. There are many times in the New Testament in the recordings of Jesus's ministry where Jesus says things like, the law says this, but I say, and then he ups the ante. And Jesus does this with tithing. In Matthew 23, Jesus chastises the Pharisees for faithfully tithing but ignoring other parts of the law, acts of justice and mercy and faithfulness. And what he says to them is that you ought to be doing both. You ought to be tithing and you ought to pay attention to these other matters of the law as well. Here's what we know about the law as it applies to us today. All of God's commands and instructions to us, regardless of where they're found in scripture, all of them are intended to show us how to live out our love for God in the world, empowered by the spirit. That is always the purpose of the law in the Bible. The law teaches us our side of the covenant. And so if your question today is whether the law still applies to us, It seems to me that Jesus is quite clear about it. And so what about for tithing specifically? What does this passage have to say to us? Well, just as it was for the Israelites, we view the tithe in both practical and spiritual terms. Tithing is practical in the sense that it provides for the needs of the church and the community. Now, I joked earlier, but it's pretty important to me personally that you tithe. My family likes to eat. My 13-year-old son likes to eat. Amen, people? He likes to eat everything that you can find. And then when he's done with eating all of that, do you know what he says? I'm hungry. That's what he says every time, right? Yep, every time. So, and, and, you know, obviously tongue in cheek a little bit here, but your tithe provides for our families, for the, the people who are providing leadership spiritually to the community. It also provides for the needs of the community in countless ways. And we showed you some of the, the uh, slides earlier that, that break some of that down and how the giving that we do benefits our community around us. And so it is a practical thing for us to tithe. And tithing is also spiritual in the sense that it serves as a tangible expression of a person's dedication and gratitude toward God. Our true gifts to God and to the church are accompanied by the outpouring of ourselves, by the giving of our very lives. By giving as we do, we, what we are saying to God is we trust you. I want to be really clear here that what Malachi 3 says propagates and what I am preaching today is not the prosperity gospel. Do you know what the prosperity gospel is? Here it is. If you send in your donation, you might find yourself with a new car. That's the prosperity gospel. And there's no place for it in scripture. It's just not a scriptural idea. It's a misunderstanding of what it means to be blessed. What what this passage tells is of God's provision. He does not promise wealth. And I wanna challenge you today, friends, that we ought to be careful equating material wealth with God's blessing. It's not a vending machine. It's not that we give something to God just so that we can get something back. It completely distorts the understanding of covenant. And so... In, in reading a passage like we have read today, it seems to me that the, the question we should ask is this question. What is the result of living in a faithful covenant with God? The answer to that question is peace with God and restoration of the covenant relationship. Return to me and I will return to you, God says. And incidentally, my experience in life is that these things, peace with God, right relationship with God, restoration of covenant with God, these things are invaluable. They, they, there's no price for them. They're, they're worth more than any material thing we could ever receive. And so the passage that we've read today isn't about the church needing money. And it's certainly not about God who owns everything needing money. I believe the passage is about what it means to be an obedient community faithful to our side of the covenant. My hope is next Uh, May or June, when we show you some charts like we did at the beginning of the service today, we see that there has been an increase in our generosity toward God and his church. And I hope that you know my heart well enough to know that this isn't about my job security. It's for this reason. A church growing in generosity is a church filled with people whose covenant relationship with God is right or is improving, and that's what we want. A church filled with people who are growing in their covenant relationship with God, that church just might make a significant kingdom difference in Lima and in our surrounding areas and maybe even in the world, and I think that would be something. Amen. Would you pray with me today? God, we thank you for the truth of your word that is a uh, two-edged sword that challenges us. God, I pray today that the message that has fallen on the hearts of each one of us um, would not be a message that inspires guilt, but would be a message that allows us to see that we have a role to play in our covenant relationship with you. Speak to us about that role, we pray. We ask that you will make it clear how we should respond obediently. And we recognize that it is our obedience that you desire, more even than sacrifice. And so help us to be obedient to you, we pray. Thank you for meeting here with us today. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Before you stand for our benediction, I wanna give you a quick note that next Sunday, you aren't gonna wanna miss it. We're gonna kick off our summer sermon series, which is called... Sunday school stories. That's right, summer sermon series, Sunday school stories. We're doing the alliteration thing really well. We're gonna take a look at stories in the New Testament that you might've heard all your life and see what maybe they really have to say for us. And next Sunday especially is gonna be special. There's gonna be um, a lot of young teenage faces up here on the platform, uh, out in the foyer greeting you, just uh, making you feel welcome Church, and so we want you to just give your love next week to our teens as they help uh, our service take place next week. We hope that you'll join us as we kick off our series next week. Would you stand as we uh, as we have our benediction today? For our benediction, um, the passage that we read today in Malachi three closes with a promise from God. God says, "If Israel will return to faithful covenant living." including tithing, this is what will happen. Look at this verse. All nations will count you happy for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. I wanna tell you today that the nations will not think that Israel or we are happy because we've received some material blessing. Happiness, fulfillment, contentment, and joy, these things come from living in right relationship with God, And that is my prayer for our community this week. God bless you as you go. Happy Father's Day. Thanks for being here today. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.